Hello, everyone. Welcome once again to RPM, Red Peace Machine. Uh, I am here with the whole gang, the whole crew. We're here with the wonderful Susie, Doctors Madinejad and Casa Granda, and Roy so Pence. Weird. <laughs> so what's what's going on with everyone this week? It's been the first week of Ramadan that's been taking place for me. How's everyone else doing? I'm good. Oh, Susie, you we can't hear you. You can't hear me. <laughs> oh, now we do. Okay, cool. I'm good. Cool. I was like, wait a minute, what? Uh, I'm good. I'm uh, everything's everything's fine here. I have a story that it, you know maybe it'll make it in later. If it not, then we can talk about it another time. But um, it was not a good not a good story. Just sort of a discrimination story. So I'm glad we're going to talk about something possibly positive like Ramadan and educate some folks. Oh, I want to retract my earlier pronunciation. I think I may have said Ramadan. I want to emphatically say Ramadan. Ramadan, yeah. A little bit. <laughs> okay. I'm gonna push okay. back against that. And say Ramadan. <laughs> oh shit! This is gonna be terrible. <laughs> we can't even pass the pronunciation. <laughs> no. So yeah, this pronunciation thing, I'll, I'll do my, my hellos by saying the pronunciation thing is a, it's a South Asian slash Persian say Ramazan and Arab say Ramadan. Um, that's all. That's all it is. <laughs> nothing weird, nothing crazy. No, it's, it's just, like the uh, Spanish who uh, in Spain speak or in, uh, in, in Barcelona speak like that. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Got it. Yeah. yeah yeah um also uh ramazan's been going on for me um i have some things to say about that um yeah <clears throat> uh roy roy peace for me uh yeah a pretty good weekend so far yesterday is my son's birthday so we did a little birthday celebration Ooh. for him uh he had a cousin come over and they hung out all night and then like um yeah other than that good yeah good sunday so far yeah first first uh, sunday off i guess first weekend off of like a lot of doing a lot of uh activities <laughs> like right. yeah so pretty pretty relaxing mm -hmm. i uh got my second shot a week ago and was sick for a week but i'm finally feeling better so i'm glad that's over with until we need to get the booster shot <laughs> in six months anyway yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> I have not got. I have not gotten mine yet. I've not gotten any of them yet. Only twenty percent of Texas is fully vaccinated. Uh, I think that's the national too. It's twenty percent is fully vaccinated. Yeah, I got mine last weekend too. Really? Last Sunday. Okay. Right. It, it's interesting. I was looking at a map uh, the New York Times had that showed what states are more vaccinated than others, and for the most part. Um, red states are poorly vaccinated and blue states are well vaccinated. Um, there are, the exceptions were places like Texas uh, was well vaccinated. And then there was a couple of blue states that were Florida? poorly vaccinated. But it, uh, Florida wasn't doing too bad, if I remember correctly. I know uh, there, there were some surprising states like you and, oh, they're, they're getting, oh, North, yeah, it was either North or South, North Dakota, South Dakota was like super vaccinated. You mean but that's all, because they burnt to the ground. All 15 people were vaccinated? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's left of their population. Thank God they get two senators. 
Yeah, thank God. And thank God their governor is such a genius. Oh, God. I don't think there should be two Dakotas. I'm sorry. I understand wanting to cut off South Carolina because, whoa, that is an unattractive state. But, and North Carolina is actually very pretty. But uh, the Dakotas, mm -mm, mm -mm. Isn't, isn't this one of those things where when you have to, when you admit, you know, like a, a, a non-slave state, then you have to admit a slave state as well. Or when you admit a presumably a state that'll be red, you have to end up admitting a state a lot of gold, that'll go blue. I mean, that's, that's, how, how, we, that's how we used to do it. But, yes. Uh, in the case of North and South Dakota, it's unrelated. Okay. And, and North and South Carolina, it's unrelated. So I if I were to... to admit Puerto Rico, where else would we get the, the other state in order to get buy-in from the other side? Couldn't I mean, you're be not DC. Give... Couldn't be DC because they're blue, Couldn't... right? Yeah. So I, I think the problem with Puerto Rico and DC has nothing to do with ideology at this point, although the Republicans are going to push back. Uh, it's color. The idea of having a, a, a brown state and a black state is just, there's no way they're going to go along with that. <laughs> a colony by uh, any other name is still a colony territory schmeritory well uh, for de for decades the way we we kept puerto rico in this hideous state of nothing because it, yeah. it's officially a territory but we treat it like a state but except for you know it doesn't pay income tax mm -hmm. but like our territories can go bankrupt but puerto rico can't because we decided it was so well developed congress passed the law preventing it from declaring bankruptcy which is what states are states are not allowed to go bankrupt so mm -hmm. um so Puerto Rico is in this nether space. And the way we kept it there was we would, and, and, and by the way, no ship can go to Puerto Rico unless it's a US flagged ship. So if, oh. yes. So if no, goods are no. going from China to Puerto Rico, they have to go to Florida, unload onto a US flagship and then go to Puerto yeah. Rico, which then makes it so that everything that you buy and sell in Puerto Rico is automatically way more expensive than on mm -hmm. the mainland. And so there's here. So here we have a poor territory that we've stuck in this nether zone that we've imposed this artificial import tax on, mm. and they. And then what we would do is we make them vote for whether they wanted to be go independent, stay the same, or state. So thirty percent would vote for independence, forty percent would say stay the same, and then thirty percent would vote for state. But the people who are voting for independence and state, their second position wasn't stay the same; it was the other one. So what happened in the last vote was Puerto Rico managed to get independence off the ballot. So the people who preferred independence but were, would settle for state then went voted yeah. for state, and they voted for statehood. And Congress has dropped the ball and done nothing with it. They haven't mm. dropped the ball; they kicked it into another room. But the House has voted to make DC a state. Well, I, I mean, it's about time. How how long do you are you disenfranchised before? you're like are you kidding me i mean how how are how is any citizen of the united states disenfranchised i mean that's just it's it's against the law right <laughs> we, i mean we allowed a revolution for it we were so yeah. mad about it <laughs> so how does that happen and how are we i just i don't understand how it's it's legal to keep people in dc from voting i don't get the puerto rico thing either but these are people who are right here, sitting in the heart of our democracy, and they're not allowed to vote. What is that? I, how does that? How is that legal? Don't all answer at once. I mean, there, it's, it's. I don't think it's officially majority black anymore. I think it's like forty-eight percent black. 
-hmm. in the last few years there's been this yeah. influx of, of uh white gentrification, gentrification yeah but okay. but i mean you know it's still it would still be dominated by black politics and i just don't think the united states is capable of admitting that i mean look what happened when obama was elected look look at all the crap harris is getting yeah i mean i just think our racism is so profound so deep and so in our bones yes yes <sighs> and the misogyny too i mean and the and the well just bigotry in general i would say um so let's, if you don't mind, I would like to know more about Ramadan because I uh, stumbled into a situation where I was found myself in a church today. And so um, I, I would like to move on from that. First of all, my condolences, Susie. Thank you. Oh! <laughs> you I, had did home, <laughs> I had to come home and take a shower. I was like, oh. They were singing and mm -mm. <laughs> were there, did what any kind, guitars come of out church? as well? <laughs> it was just it was a, a non-denominational church that was had a you know it was one of those with the band and the mm -hmm. we're gonna make up our own songs kind of thing and um and there was a lot of uh, joy and celebration and it just was a real turn off. <laughs> more like more the more, like more a sober like the, uh it was a lot of fun y'all so let's move on was it more like a uh, televangelist church no no it wasn't it so wasn't something like, like you see it was like in that. between you know what i mean so yeah. like it wasn't um it was it, to me it reminded me of a church my friend went to and it was a uh oh uh, god what do you call it where they proselytize and put the hands on you um, yeah lay hands on charismatic church <laughs> it was like that only they didn't go so far and be so creepy yeah. they stayed over there i'm assuming i don't know what those charismatic churches are doing right now with covid when you can't, <laughs> you can't <laughs> no god will protect you that, yeah six six feet six feet <laughs> don't get any closer than the end of this snake <laughs> Look, let's be honest. Everybody knows that if you're in church, you can't get COVID. That's true. Though. <laughs> and you can't get shot. Oh. oh. So this just happens to be a um, um, a coincidence, right? So we decided we were going to discuss Ramadan today a little bit earlier. And I was like, oh, my God, um, I got this book. And I would just like to show it to y'all if you don't mind, and then we can go on from there. And again, totally coincidental. I didn't even think about Easter or Ramadan or anything like that, um, but I did buy this and it is called the Holy Quran for kids. Is it backwards or can you see it? No, we see no, it. That's right. Okay. And can you read who that is or what that yeah, is? Yeah. 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 Is that what I read? Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, Emmerich. Okay, cool. So that I would like to know my, my, so far my uh, research, cause I just got it yesterday is okay. What's the Jews? What's a Juzama? Cause that's basically the name of the book. And uh, what are Siraz? Am I like, if, can we break that down into kind of a biblical thing? Like just because it's Western like book chapter verse, is that what I'm looking at here? Essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And why um, does it start on the 30th? And is this a particular part of uh, the Quran 
that there are other parts too, three or four other parts too, and this is just one part. Yeah, Ramesh? Oh, sure, the, the Juz Amma is the 30th of the Juz. The Juz are, is the Quran divided into 30 parts, right? So there's the whole document, then there's 30 parts of it. This is the 30th, the last part. But this is a compilation of shorter surahs. Surahs are chapters of the Quran. The longest is super duper long, spans a whole juz and a half at least. How much? I don't know how long Bakra is. Uh, and then just Amma, I think you'll notice is some of these um, chapters are only a few verses long. These are shorter chapters. Uh, from what I'm told, these chapters were revealed in the Meccan period when the prophet was still in Mecca uh, before the immigration, the Hijra to um, uh, These chapters are more like proselytizing in theme. Uh, they're super duper poetic, um, all of that stuff. Uh, they're more intended for an audience that's unfamiliar with Islam or, or an audience that may not be fully Muslim yet. Um, so yeah, it's it's Sounds more perfect. poetic, shorter <laughs> chapters, easier easier for kids to read. So once you're if you're a child and Muslim, uh, and you're memorizing portions of the Quran, it'll probably be uh, chapters from this section. Or if you're an um, adult person who <laughs> Doctor Madaninijad, the once upon a time Quran teacher, at some point, it, did I did I pass? <laughs> what did I well, miss? Yeah, um, yeah, I think um, you you said it all. Yeah, totally. But does it have anything to do with the, the celebration of, and, and there are two different uh, pronunciations of Ramadan. And but that's so, the correct one. Okay. <laughs> it, is, it is actually the correct one, yes. But then there's like a, there's a, 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 a dialect difference then and from, from regular, uh, regular, from the normals. Uh, and from the Persian from Arabic, right? for, there's yeah, yeah. This it's isn't a dialectical. Word. Yeah, there's this is an Arabic word. How do so, you say it in Persian? Ramazan. Ramazan. Okay. Yeah, it's the same uh, Ramesh, right? For South Asians, it's yeah. called Ramazan. Yeah. Yeah. So. And so, does that have anything to do with the Jaws thirty and the Sudas? I know I'm mispronouncing that. Um, I don't, I don't know, um, probably because um, the, I think translation in English is the pillars, the pillar, this is a pillar of Islam, there's um, in Sunni uh, Islam, there's five things that you um, are asked to do as a Muslim, and uh, fasting one month of the year is one of those things. It's a fard, yeah. something that you need, you know, that you're asked to do by the book. It's in the book. So, um, yeah. Uh, and then this book is also, you know, revealed in the, in the month of Ramadan, right? This is the month when the book finally gets, gets processed, consolidated into a, a book. Oh, wow. um, and then uh, over the course of the month, the, the recitation of the book happens and special prayers that don't happen uh, throughout the rest of the year. So each night in the month of Ramadan, um, some folks are gathering in masjids and communities, all of this, and doing recitations of the Quran. And so, you know, juz of the Quran in 30-ish nights of the month of Ramadan, each night you go through a 30th of the Quran. And then over the course of the entire month, you would complete the, the recitation of the whole thing. Wow. That's much more um, um, 
definitely uh, someone who a uh, practicing that's there's a lot more in 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 the practicing of that than there is than there is any more in uh, Christianity. Can we talk about mm. practicing for a second? So yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the interesting thing. Um, uh, when we talk about Muslims in the United States, and I'll just just let's just say U.S. and the word practicing, you're either you you're either a practicing Muslim or you're not, or you're not a um, Muslim. Or you're yes, or you're not practicing, and in in the eyes of some Muslims, you are not a Muslim. Um, I, I don't want to go there. I'll just say okay. you're either no, 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 I got, it. You're not. I got it. Yeah, it's like a it's a one or a zero. It's a very binary thing okay. in um, the sort of general understanding. You don't stop in and give confession. You don't stop in and do a couple of prayers once every month. If you do it, you're well, you do, but here's the thing. This is what I'm trying to say, that um, in the both Western imagination and in the imagination of some Muslims, practicing Muslims, you're either on or off. Got it. Um, and, you know, historically, this is not the way it was, or from my understanding, how it was supposed to be. There is a uh, there is a spectrum, um, just like any other belief system that you write, or any other practice, or any other way of being. There is ups and downs, and there are um, there are changes. Um, right there's evolution there's transformation there's we are human beings and we're not robots where we're off or on <laughs> we falter yeah. we fall we we crash and burn like this is the sort of uh, uh brimstone and hellfire uh, uh model that islam has mm -hmm. become under the salafi under the saudi arabian sort of understanding and this is definitely not how it used to be and this is from again, my understanding and the understanding of many, what it was, what what this was uh, meant to be, how it was meant to be practiced. Uh, there is, it's not on or off. Um, do we want to do that 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 dive into you know what the hell is is Wahhabism, Salafism? How does it become predominant? What happens in the past in that century to to how how has Islam changed in the twentieth century? I guess. Uh, and why why are we so on watch? You know, Susie lifted up this book earlier, uh, and at the very moment she lifted up the book and introduced it to me, I was like, ah, is it Salafi or not? Is Susie that's getting exactly. her hand on, <laughs> yes. on some kind of material that's Salafi influence or tinge? Because it's so hard for someone who is yeah external. Can you tell me that what what does that mean? And what are you? I'm not. I, I'm sorry. I'm just not quite following. <clears throat> there are two different influences uh, of, to the Quran. There's many, right? I mean, think of think of all the different ways the um, the Bible is read, all the different interpretations, all the different ways. I mean, in some ways, it, there's as many ways. There's all. I don't know. There's so many. Like um, there's a saying um, in uh, I don't remember who said it, but as many Islams as there are Muslims, type of thing. Um, that 
What, what was that? That's a lot of that is a lot of Islam. That's a lot of Islams, yeah. Um, it's over a billion. <laughs> yeah, uh, but no, but it's supposed to be a personalized. It's supposed to be a direct connection. Um, that there is there is no pope. There is no uh, there is no uh, what's the word. Uh, there is no in, the person who is in between right. God and the believer, supposedly, right? And so, um, yeah, Salafism. So, um, you want to go into the history? Yeah, I was looking to. I was looking to Doctor Casagranda for that. <laughs> and and can you find a way to blame the? You started all jumping. Yeah, so just don't want to get stuck in the the barbed wire that is <laughs> this. Um, but you know, is, sometime is in the, seven, the right is this the right one? Should I get a different one? Is this? I have no I, idea. I have how, no idea. How would I find I can, out? Well, I can look into it maybe, okay. or maybe when we see each other, I can. Um, yeah, but trans, uh, translations um, are, in fact, interpretations already. And so right. that might be a... So the whole idea was that pre-1700s in um, the Muslim world, the, the Islam that was practiced on the ground by the people was Sufi Islam. Right, okay. That's heavy. That, that is something that's been erased systematically decade after decade. And it's a very, it's a, it's a momentous sentence that pre-1700s, the, the Islam that was practiced on the ground by the, the, um, the people, masses. the masses, thank you, was Sufi Islam. And Sufi Islam is um you know like um the it's 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 the it's the islamic version of the love and uh joy and music and let's all hug it out type of yeah right um <laughs> i've known a couple of of practice practicing sufis a couple of white guys who mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i'm not really sure they knew what they were doing but okay yeah, I, I knew. So I knew it was joyful. So that's the joyful part of it. Yeah. Um, what we know in the West from from Sufism um, is Rumi. Yes. Right. He was the I mean, in Iran, they call the Masnavi, which is the 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 uh, his sort of magnus magnum opus. Um, as the second Quran, that's oh, huge to, yeah. to call something that's almost sacrilegious, right? So that that's kind of the weight and the poetry is in Farsi. That's the weight of this person. And, and all of the sages were poets, first of all. So that kind of gives you an idea into yeah. it, the, the way people process this was through poetry, which means it was not literal. It was figurative. 
Yeah, and, and the, the rights of the people that we think of when we when we hear, I like to think about the term Sharia law because that has a lot of connotations for us today, right? Like it gives me a whole bodily reaction on, on what it means if someone says Sharia law, it means a certain kind of thing. And the image that comes to my head is like beheadings and hands off and all of this. Um, but all the all the folks who who were the jurists of this and who formed this this Sharia law, this fiqh tradition or whatever, like Manefsha is saying, they were all poets first and foremost. <laughs> uh, yeah, doing this very basic kind of family law kind of stuff, right? Divorce proceedings and all of this kind of stuff. But yeah, they they were not literalist in any kind of capacity. Furthest from it, they were poets, and yeah, every every single verse was seen as something with with a a sort of uh, an apparent meaning but then the real meaning was the uh you know like the like the iceberg the 90 percent that was hidden underneath all of that good stuff which was under the blanket of god's love mm-hmm. beginning and end was forgiveness god's love let's hug it out for you know for just that kind of thing that kind of god like and they also had a really strong sort of unitarian oh, yeah. oh absolutely wisdom from Wahtat other religions um, I don't want to get into the details of that, but basically the greatest thinkers of the time had ideas like um, all religions, uh, Rumi himself, right? All the religions have come here, whether it's, uh, and, and, you know, ways of being, whether it's, whether it's, sorry, uh, Buddhism or Taoism, it just doesn't matter. It doesn't even have to just be um, an Abrahamic religion. Yeah, including polytheistic religions like, and like including Hinduism, polytheistic. right? Thank you, yeah. thank you. Animism, all of it. it. All of that is part of the, of our Penelope. Is that the right word to, no. Uh, I, I the it, It's a tapestry of the rules of living that has been sent to us by the creator. And we're supposed, here's the, here's this catch. We're supposed to use all of it. All of it is valuable. Every, every different tradition has something to offer, not just to those people, but to all the other ones. And Islam is one of them. This is very different from Islam is the last religion. We have perfected. We know everything. Everything else is shit. That was not the way. So all of a sudden, 1700s comes along and this family takes over Saudi Arabia and then oil is found and then the money starts pouring in and then the proselytizing and sending with that, uh, sending or supporting with that money, a particular type of Islam that's very literalist, that's very controlling, um, that's a unitary way of, of reading the Quran. That's it. You're, you're either with us or you're against us. And I don't, I don't mean to sound, um, you know, daft, but what, what family moved there? Who, who moved there that, that made that? Al-Saud. <laughs> well, yeah, but even before that was the, the Wahhabi movement. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, Abdul Wahhab was this guy. Um, I just don't remember the details, but I think 1730s, 1740s, um, this, you know, this, this was a, the area was a bunch of tribes and he unifies the tribes sort of, you know, in, in the model of what was happening in the West, um, okay. creating a nation state, this was sort mm-hmm. of the same kind of movement. And then. Yeah. 
and then you have this Abdullah person doing this whole religious reformist thing, right? Saying mm-hmm. that we need a unitary message, unitary religion, this strong literalist tradition. And then somewhat simultaneously, maybe not simultaneously, you have the Saudis, the, 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 this family that sort of politically it gains control and has that power. And then you have this alliance between the two. Yes. Uh, the Saudis team up with the Wahhabis and say, hey, let's do this nation state thing. Um, and, and British Empire stuff taking place in the background that's informing all of this as well. Yeah, in fact, yeah. if it wasn't for the British Empire, the Hashemis probably would have prevailed. Yeah. But the British Empire wanted the Saudis to prevail. And so, because uh, you have to remember, like when <clears throat> World War I is happening, the center of what is today Saudi Arabia was independent, but the periphery was owned by the Ottoman Empire. And so the British uh, began supporting an Arab uprising. And the goal that the Arabs had was to take Asian the Asian part of the Arab world and unified into a single state under the Hashemite king. And of course the British did not want that outcome because they wanted to end up with control of, of Palestine and Iraq and the French wanted Syria. So what they did was they worked with the Saudis to undermine the Hashemites. Mm-hmm. And the next thing you know, we have the current configuration, which is really British in conception with these artificial mm-hmm. states like Israel and Jordan and Syria and Lebanon and Iraq, nightmare. It's a nightmare and completely destroyed any chance the Arabs had of being successful in the 21st century. Hmm. Yeah, and and then with the discovery of oil, all of a sudden this this Wahhabi strain that is in state power in Saudi Arabia is able to propagate, proselytize throughout the Islamic world. And so after the fall of Ottoman empires and other Islamic empires like Mughal Empire, uh, religious institutions that were in place that were passing down and that these Sufi ideals and other things were preserved kind of fell, fell apart in different ways in different regions. And what comes in to fill the vacuum is these uh, Saudi-funded uh, religious education institutions that have a very, very particular vision of Islam. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's, it's uh, you know, one of the things that's been happening is uh, folks, men, um, mostly men um, from other parts of, of um, the Muslim world go to Saudi Arabia yeah. to work. Mm. And it's been going on since the 60s, uh, especially in places like Egypt. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, Egypt, Al-Azhar, used to be the seat of learning um, for the Muslim world. Um, it's a big mosque in Cairo. Uh, that's where it, it's like the biggest uh, Islamic university, basically, right? And very slowly, um, Al-Azhar has become, became, uh, it's kind of, it's always teetering, I feel. Um, but it's become more and more conservative. And I will use this word. It has become more conservative um, because, and and. Egyptian society has become more conservative, so much so that in the 80s, it it, it started in the 1980s that women started putting hijab on. And slowly within a decade, um, the majority of women are majaba, they're they're wearing hijab. And, And at least 
this is what I've, you know, this and is way it was we- overnight too. I was there in mm-hmm. 87 and almost nobody had hijab on. I went in 90 and almost everybody had hijab. It was just like a light switch. Yeah. And, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, from, from the things um, from, I, this is not my direct research, but from what I've read and living over there also, um, this has a lot to do with the folks, the men who go work a few years in Saudi Arabia and they come back. Their women are you know, they're completely covered when they come back and they bring the money. They bring a lot of money with them. They set up businesses, whatever, but they're already, it's, it's already. And to make things even worse is that the Qur'ans, um, uh, Saudi Arabia prints Qur'ans, right? And the Qur'ans, just like uh, with Bibles, come with uh, uh, tra- uh, not translations, but interpretation. Uh, interpret, yeah, certain interpretations, and that's everything. The way you interpret is everything. It's a it's a certain kind of translating, right? Yeah, um, it's uh, it, it, it you can find it in all kind like the Constitution. I think the Christian exactly. Bible. Thank you. That's perfect. Yeah, Constitution is actually a perfect example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, there's another aspect about the Salafists that's worth pointing out, which is that they they don't value history, and, and they don't they don't want shrines, they don't yeah. want historical no, monuments. They, they they are the they, <laughs> yeah. Um, the shrines that you're talking about, um, so they are very anti-Sufi. So they they have literally, whenever they've gained power, blown up Muslim shrines, blown up Muslim mosques. They, yeah. they, they, they uh, the bathhouses that were used in Mecca, they just mm. tore them down and put up high-rise apartment buildings so that pe- rich people could live there. They, they've just, they've completely reshaped Mecca. And, and I mean, in, in my mind, the most sacrilegious ways imaginable because they have, nothing has value to them. The old Ottoman fortress that was in Mecca, they just, they tore it down and they, they just put up high-rise apartments. Like it's, they want to, if they had their way, they would tear down the pyramids. They would they would completely erase everything. So I wonder if we could, Ramesh, could you look for a picture of what yeah, pre- looks like these uh-huh. days just to talk about <laughs> capitalism? Of course, we got to talk about capitalism here. Yeah, so absolutely. Okay, um, so, so the capitalism thing is actually really, I, I think, in a profound way, uh, shocking because it. It, all, it almost like stumbled upon it. So in 1973, Egypt wanted to launch its first attack against Israel. All the Arab-Israeli wars up until that moment, 47, 56, 67, the Israel attacked Egypt. So 1973 is the first time Egypt's going to attack Israel. And the reason is, is they, they want to capture the Sinai back um, for multiple reasons. But, you know, uh, the major one is to get the Suez Canal opened again because the Israelis blocked the Suez Canal when they captured Sinai. So Egypt went to the Saudis and said, give us one month of your oil revenue so we can buy equipment from the Russians. The Saudis said, never, because the Saudis feared that if Egypt had that military equipment after retaking the Sinai, they would invade Saudi Arabia and conquer it. So what the Saudis did, they were trying to figure out what to do. Exxon came up with the solution. Exxon said, do an oil boycott on the United States. And the Saudis went, why would we do that? And, and, the, and what, the, what Exxon said was, oil is effectively fungible. It actually won't really do anything except symbolic, and it'll shoot the price of oil through the roof. We'll make crazy cash, 
you'll make crazy cash. So the Saudis went genius. So as soon as Egypt attacked, the Saudis put an oil boycott on the United States and uh, the price of oil took off. And then of course the Iranian revolution in 79 sends the price of oil through the roof a second time. The result is all of a sudden, Saudis, the Kuwaitis, the UAE, all these guys have all this cash they don't know what to do with. Like they're all of a sudden these relatively poor third world countries are, are way more cash flush than any first world country. <laughs> and what they do is they start buying bonds in the United States and they start putting their money in banks. And what this does is it frees the banks now from state regulation because now they're no longer they're no longer looking to the United States for the money that the United States is printing. They can give loans off of Saudi. There, there it is. Yeah, so here we see this giant monstrous skyscraper and you see that little tiny black dot in the middle is, is the original Kaaba. And if we look back to other depictions, so here's the Kaaba in the foreground and then this, this giant mall, hotel, living facility, all of this stuff in the background. Well, they really had an uh, eye and here's, towards here's an older history. picture yeah. <laughs> where you have the Kaaba and then all these other uh, things oh in the background. Mm -hmm. I mean, but even yeah. Austin has rules about how high a building can be near the Capitol building. Mm -hmm. yeah. You go ahead, finish your story, because I got, uh, I got yeah. something to say about these pictures, Roy. Okay, so what ends up happening is the bankers now begin relying on Saudi money to give out loans. And, and so it, it ends up this really weird relationship between Saudi Arabia's petrol dollars, uh, uh, right? That's why we have the term petrodollars. The United States is economy because the Saudis are basically, along with China and Japan, bankrolling our economy by constantly buying our bonds and, you know, and storing their financial reserves in the United States. And then so there's this really weird relationship between the United States effectively and the banks, the World Bank, all the other banks that are involved in this, supporting the Saudis, exporting their type of Islam, because that's the, the, the money that does that. And uh, it's just such a weird, strange relationship, but it's obviously all embedded in capitalism. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, so people actually go here, the whole Hajj, which is the pilgrimage, what is called H-A-J-J, -J, Hajj. The folks go here, um, it's, it's a pilgrimage. What are we supposed to do with a pilgrimage? It's a spiritual journey, right? It, you actually walk um, towards something. It's like um, uh, Lord of the Rings, right? <laughs> Seriously, it's no, like yeah, it's exactly rite of passage, right? right? It's a oldest story, uh, or, 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 oldest story trope uh, ever. Exactly. Right? The, and again, I'm not a Christian, nor have I ever learned much about Christianity, but there's that they have a pilgrimage, right? But yeah, I mean, basically, you you walk out your transformation, and and it and its body, it's a body journey, right? You live in your body, you're you're trying to get out of your head. You're supposed to, you're you're trying to feel it. You're you're trying to be in nature. in In the case of present, um, in the case of uh, being at the Kaaba, it's supposed to be in a desert, right? It's. Mm -hmm what I'm trying to say is that you're supposed to commune with the elements, right. While you're doing this and it's become this ridiculous. I mean, I don't, I've never been, so I don't want to say anything, but. Can you scroll back? Land, Ramesh, 
this keep one going, keep okay. going. One, I think it's one more. All right, there. So you're you're a pilgrim. You're going around because you, you go in a circle, right? Mm-hmm, tall off, yeah. Yeah, and you can't help every time you make a circle, but look at that giant building. And so, in a in a way, what the Saudis have done is they've superimposed the Saudi state onto the religion. But but my favorite part of that whole picture is the clock. Yeah. Yeah. Countdown. So, as you as you're going around, you're supposed to be feeling a sense of timelessness, a connection with the past, a connection with all the Muslims that have been and will be, with all creation. And excuse my language, what the fuck is that clock? I don't know why uh, Christians aren't aren't just absolutely crazy about the fact that we have God on our money. I mean, it's it's mm. just like capitalism has just totally invaded. At least, I mean, I I would think all religions, except for maybe some of the the ones that are practiced by indigenous tribes in Brazil or Africa. But man, what a so the oil really is the is what happened. Money oil is what launched this into this situation that it is now. So. Here, like if we take a step back and go back to 1958. So Egypt is the predominant Arab power. It's just unified with Syria. It's actually renamed itself the United Arab Republic. Nasser is the president. Nobody is even thinking about Saudi Arabia in a meaningful way other than yeah. oh, it, has, it has a nice oil reserve. It's, it's not a power player. It, it's, not a, it's not a major... And then culturally and religiously, it was backwater, right? Like it was backwater. A, after and, the and, first couple centuries, all of a sudden you have capitals in Baghdad and Cairo, and these were the places that matter. This is where the scholars were. This is where culture was. And, you know, Mecca and Medina, you just went for the pilgrimage to this desert backwater. And in Egypt had this, the Muslim Brotherhood, and it was a, this sort of this constant festering problem in the background. Nasser went ahead and met with the head of the Muslim Brotherhood. And he said, if you could change one thing in Egypt, one thing, anything you wanted, what, what would be the thing? And the reason he's asking this question is because he's thinking, can we maybe compromise? Like re- reach a middle ground here. Right. And the, the Brotherhood leader says, I want women to cover their hair. And Nasser goes, before this meeting, I looked up your daughter. She's, a, she's, a, she's working on a, becoming a, a doctor. MD. An MD. And she doesn't cover her hair. You can't make your daughter cover your hair and you expect me to make 15 million Egyptians cover their hair. And Nasser is doing this speech in front of a whole oh. bunch of people. The crowd roars with laughter because it was preposterous. preposterous. Mm-hmm. Nobody could imagine that Egyptian women would cover their hair. Not to mention the fact that he's asked, what is one thing that you want? He's like, I want to control women. God damn yeah. it. Yeah. This, is, this is the thing you want to do. You don't want to fix poverty. You don't no. want to improve education. No. How about infrastructure? No, I just want to tell women what to do. <laughs> and, and so, you know, he's like, there's that's no... something we share. That's something that is also Christianity. <laughs> and so Nasser's like, there's nothing I can do with you. You're, you're useless. This is ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And so that Egypt, that was just, what was that, 63 years ago? Mm-hmm. And oh. you look at the, the Egypt today, Egypt is is the secondary backwater. It's Saudi Arabia that's pulling the strings. Saudi Arabia gives Egypt billions of dollars Mm -hmm. per year now because the Saudis basically prop up the Egyptian state. 
Right. And it, like now Saudi Arabia is the preeminent Arab power, but it has nothing. It's a hollow state. Like if there was a, if there was a global war, Saudi Arabia would provide absolutely nothing to it. I mean, the joke is the first thing the pilots would do is fly back to Pakistan and Egypt because the, the pilots for their air force aren't even from Saudi Arabia. <laughs> They're all Pakistanis and Egyptians. <laughs> I also want to point out that, that, that this whole, um, you know, 9-11 terror situation mm -hmm. started with a, a Saudi prince. <laughs> Osama bin Laden is a mini prince who had a falling out with the royal family. And whose dad was the chief architect for Saudi Arabia and best friends with the Bush family. Right. Oh. In fact, when George Bush Jr.'s oil company went bankrupt, it was Osama bin Laden's dad who bailed him out financially. <clears throat> yeah, no, there's so much wrong with, with that whole scenario. I mean... <laughs> I, and now Islam is the biggest enemy. Islam's yeah biggest. yeah and 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 like you said now everyone covers the, all the women cover their hair and do the men so when i see men dressed there oh, this, this is just egypt this is this is just egypt you're not so talking this about is not the case this is not the case in in morocco this is not the case in Tunis, Tunisia, this is right. not the case in, I don't know about Algeria. There is a general trend towards, um, you know, the women becoming hijabis. There is a general trend towards that. Yes. Um, and and uh, Saudi Arabia has a lot to do with that. So yes, go ahead. Okay, so when I've seen, for example, uh, MBS um, on, you know, when he's attending things and he's got the, the headdress on that he wears and those clothes, are those like business attire or is that like, uh, are those, is that a religious garb? Um, I'm, I'm just wondering, is that? That's just, um, it's like uh, uh, a suit. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. like the national sort of uh, yeah. clothing. It's um and so is traditional he, clothing. Do you believe that the people in charge over there right now, including him, are are Muslim or do they practice? Are they religious at all? Or are they just ruling from capitalism? I mean, does it matter whether they're religious or not? I don't I'm not sure. Like that's I I would have a problem if my government were religious. But it is. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, and, like. And God we trust is on the money. And we have. No, a I know. Like Trump and Bush. But Trump is not. Say I'm a believer and even has, has to say I go to church and I have a church to be even considered to become president. But we, we have know. a religion well, debate for the presidency. I, the I, funniest religion debate ever was when Obama and McCain debated each other. It was so clear neither one of them believed. Yeah. <laughs> I I it was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not thinking about ATAC now. They're like, oh, wait, Roy. You, Roy, you sound muffled. Yeah, voice is muffled. Oh, no. That's better. Right there. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Good. Don't worry about it. Um, okay, you, okay. I was uh, just thinking about, um, you know, how they said we have to go to APAC. You know what I mean? To me, that's part of, you know, mm. it's, 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 
cow into religion you know it's something major that they do level yeah for sure Uh (laughs) it was so clear and and i know what you're talking about but it was so clear that that trump was not a christian it was not i mean that was ridiculous that anybody would i agree with you we are ruled by a religion but it it is also um a tenet that we are not right that we are free we have a freedom and we don't have to be ruled by Jesus or, you know, whoever that we're not beholden as a country to a religion, although down low we are, right? So I'm just wondering if that's the same over there. There's do prayer they prayer in my kids' school? Do they, well, I know there was prayer in my school too. I mean, I mean, I, I think I think we live in a, a myth. That yes, I agree. But that's my question: is does does uh, does MBS come out and say I'm a believer? Or is yes. he, and and, oh, and, yeah. and very much like Trump, he is not. Is that what we're talking here? <laughs> Who, Who knows? knows? Okay. Who knows? Yeah. yeah, I mean, at some level, whether he is or he isn't, we already know that being a believer in Christianity, truly believing that you believe, right? Um, in Christianity or any other form, any other tradition doesn't mean a damn thing, you know, as, as a prerequisite for you to be a good leader. Like it means nothing. Right. Yeah. That's why I it shouldn't he, anyway. It shouldn't. Bernie, <laughs> I didn't think Bernie would make it. I can't see America hiring a, a Jewish guy to run the country. I just an atheist with a Jewish. Uh, <laughs> I just, yeah. I, it I was just, like, yeah, dude, dude, there was like no way they're going to, they're no that work, there's no way. I mean, I, I, well, I think there's other factors, I think you would have made it. <laughs> <laughs> but, I don't think that would have been it stopping back here. I don't because there is there's a lot more I think to it, but yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I, I think, think he could have made it. Not help. That did not help. No, it did not. I think you it underestimate help, the I hate. <laughs> I do. Just, I think there's a there's a huge level of anti-Semitism that's just close mm-hmm, yeah. to our society. That's true. That, it is true. That so on the one hand, Americans sort of like, oh, I love Jews. The Holocaust was so horrible. But then at the other, at the other end of the spectrum it's like but i don't want him to be my president right right uh, like i like them in hollywood no as long as they know their place they're they, great they professors yeah i love them as my therapist but there's my, yeah and my investors yeah yeah stuff like because that yeah ridiculous. at the end of the day we're all just uh, this bubbling cauldron of racism and and discrimination yeah, it's 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 and speaking of which, Christian the, fanaticism. Biggest, the biggest motto of white supremacy is know thy place, know thy place. My uh, I, maybe now I can bring this up. This might be a good time. My a friend of mine uh, was uh, they are a trans. Um, they're recently trans, uh, came out as trans and had the top surgery last year, I think. I'm not sure what the reasoning was, but they had to be rushed to the hospital to the ER. And um, they, they were uh, admitted, they took blood and tested for COVID, and then they discharged them because they were trans and didn't want to treat them. And that's legal. Mm. So this is the first, you know, I, I spoke about it when it came out, it was, you know, everybody was talking about, but we, I think there was an idea, an underlying idea that my God, nobody would actually ever do that. And now I, I I know somebody it happened to, and it's and it's religious freedom, you know. And so you don't you don't have to help someone even. But my question is, where's the Hippocratic Please. oath come in? 
Susie, so uh, was it was it that the doctor didn't want to treat them, or was it that the hospital discharged them, or what? What was the the all I got because there was a post. I haven't talked to to them about it, <laughs> but they uh, uh, they basically I don't think they saw a doctor at all. I think they got the blood taken and they came in and said, "Okay, we can't continue helping you." Mm. So, um, so, so was this the May 2017 uh, thing that Trump signed into law? It, that and then it, well, it's, I thought it, it was a Texas thing. It's, no, it's it, a Trump thing. It's a Trump thing, and it got yeah, and and then they did something again in 2020 with it, upheld it or something like that. So, in Texas. Uh, in uh, all across, I think, the country. yeah, so. all across the country. So, I mean, you know, they voted that, uh, that, that it could be okay for doctors to lie to women if they had a pregnancy that was not right. Like the child might be born with a, with a disability. So you don't abort it. So, you know, I mean, if you can't trust your doctor, if you can't go to the emergency room and expect treatment where they take a Hippocratic oath that says, I will do no harm. Uh, you know, how, how does that, um, how do you, how do you resolve those two things? I mean, I don't think you should be able to take the Hippocratic oath, uh, you know, and, and you should have a sign up or something that says, we don't believe in the Hippocratic oath here or something, you know, no queers I mean, allowed. But this goes back to the fact that the United States is essentially a, a Christian fundamental state. I mean, well, no, the, you think that the, the Islam would be fine with this? Because I don't. I think that it's well, any fundamental. <laughs> in fact, as, in as fact, a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, I saw me and Vanusha have the same look on her face <laughs> at the same time. So, um, yeah, I, I, I want to be very careful what I say right now. But um, so I. I want to. I want to start by saying I just want to focus on the Iranian state. Mm -hmm. Okay, the Ira Iranian state is um, a terrible um, uh, persecutor of LGBTQ community within Iran. Mm -hmm. um, LGBTQ. Well, I'm gonna get there. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll I'll get there. I'll get there. Um, also there, there are gay men who are hanged from cranes every once in a while. You have somebody like Ahmadinejad that comes in the United Nations stands and says, we don't have any gay people in the country. Uh, just ridiculous stuff, right? Um, ridiculous things that come out of their mouths and horrific things that uh, crimes that they commit against this population within the country. Um, also, I want to say um, that at the same time in the 1980s, by a fluke, because this is all about interpretation, right? right. Um, and I want to recognize that I, in my eyes, it was a fluke. The then leader, Ayatollah uh, Khomeini, the founder of the Islamic Republic, and the person who sort of brought the revolution in and cinched it um, in 1979, um, did a fatwa 
um, he was an Ayatollah Sohika. So it's a religious edict that said um, there are human beings that are um, born, I mean, I'm kind of translating, that are born women in men's bodies and men in women's bodies. And this is how, and, and this is a mistake, mistake in the sense that they, um, um, not that it was God's mistake, but that um, it is how it is. This is this is something that has happened, and and it is our responsibility to help them transition. Oh, and yeah. so, Iran has the. So you're talking uh, about Indiana, right, Mike Pence, Indiana. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, so Iran is the center for transitioning gender transitioning in the, in the Muslim world from mm. all over, that is where people go. And it is completely, um, I mean, this is, this, is, this is something that's done and all cool. However, wow. however, however, you cannot be gay. Mm. So if you, right, you, you must transition. You're either, you are either man or woman in the heteronormative sense, mm -hmm. right? And there is no in between. So it's yeah. like the, the souls got switched is all that it, the somehow something happened and it's yes. not it's not anything's fault. It just happened and we it can... just happened. Uh -huh. And okay. we, we are within our uh, religious sort of purview to change that and that correct is that. Really that is okay. weird. That is a weird yeah. That's why I'm saying it's a... That's <laughs> what, so here's the thing. Uh, ma, the Shia, Shia are more open to these sorts of... Um, uh, <laughs> um, these sorts of I don't I don't want to put names on things, but these sorts of um, interpretations. Mm. Okay. Yeah. More open I, to radical interpretations of things. Yeah. I'm curious if in the fatwa was the word fitra used? Like, is this something like the fitra of the person? I can go look at. I just okay. don't remember. Yeah. But I can look at it. This is something that we studied in in my classrooms. Oh, I just don't remember yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. Susie, in the in the South Asian world, right, there is a super duper long predating the presence of Islam in the South Asian subcontinent. Um, groups of people with different gender identities, not just one, uh, Hijra. among others. Yeah, Hijra is more an umbrella term. And then there's other stuff in, in between and other ways of looking at it in, in there, um, who are either third gender, or transgender, and all these other sort of gender identities uh, who have long been around uh, mm -hmm. sort of accepted uh, entirely as third gender mm -hmm. folks in between folks, all of this, um, or transgender folks, all of this uh, by, by Muslim rulers, Muslim empires, all of this had important roles in courts, uh, were important figures in all sorts of different kinds of ways and are, are still there and still supported. And so there is still the, the, the discrimination against, you know, lesbian and gay folks, and you will still have leaders get up and say things like there are no, there's no such thing as lesbianism or gay folks in, in right. Pakistan. Right. Uh, but at the same time, mm -hmm. folks are entirely, not entirely, there's still discrimination. There's still all sorts of other stuff, but they're still accepted and seen as, you know, natural, normal human beings with a happens. different gender identity. Yeah, that that's the case in other cultures as well. Mm -hmm. um, it, 
I believe in the Philippines and mm-hmm. like you were talking about um, th- that area. Uh, I don't, I don't know if once you get to the Christianity part, if, I mean, if, if you, 